Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, we're here today with Tom Fanning, the President, Chairman, and CEO of Southern Company. Hi, Tom. Hey, how are you, Marty? Good to see you. Very good. Um, a couple of issues I want to talk to you about, but... Uh, First up, it's going to be uh, cybersecurity. <laughs> Jeez, it never stops. It never stops, and uh, it suddenly is escalating. I know two of the hats you wear, at least. I'm, I bet there are probably more. But uh, for a number of years, must be close to a decade, you've been co-chairing the Electric Subsector Coordinating Council. That's right. And more recently, I think Congress has gotten you involved in the cyberspace solarium commission. Yeah, I'm the only kind of private citizen, private sector CEO type on that commission. Otherwise, it's mostly uh, kind of administration or other policy people plus, uh, uh, you know, representatives from, you know, NSA, FBI, etc., uh, DHS, really good folks. So what, what I want to ask you is we've been reading about and hearing about um, since the end of the year, beginning of the year, about this discovery of a massive, ostensibly Russian uh, invasion of our cyberspace uh, above and beyond what we had seen in the past. Yeah. What does that mean? How do you take it? And what does that mean to electric utilities and the, the vulnerability of our electric sector? So... Let me start with, I think, the most important thing to your question is that we have done a comprehensive review with hunt teams from different agencies, third-party vendors, et cetera. We, the energy space, particularly electricity, does not appear to be a target. This looks like an espionage operation that was, in my opinion anyway, wildly successful in that they open doors to many, many companies, industries, agencies, et cetera. But here's the thing um, that I think is very important and probably a warning for everybody. It's pretty clear to me that the hack uh, with solar winds and the Orion product at all uh, was bigger than just solar wind. So as people invariably talk about this as a solar winds hack there were probably entrees into solar winds that were important one two they we believe they were in solar winds since june uh without detection and in fact southern company stumbled into our own uh knowledge that in fact uh solar winds had 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 a problem it, it really was we were looking at something else uh, from another nation state, and we found about eight files that had been opened and closed and essentially put back on the bookshelf. And we thought that was really odd that those files had been evaluated, and that caused us to pursue a trail that ended in solar winds. Now, let me kind of get to point three. So as we think about what happens when somebody hacks you in this kind of magnitude? 
there's really two big missions. One is they try to exfiltrate uh, information. Uh, China is famous for exfiltrating intellectual property. The other thing that they try to do is metastasize into an area that can be really troublesome. Um, and, you know, what you worry about there is not just moving to find more important information, but moving into areas in which they can operationalize an attack, operating systems, that kind of thing. We do believe that, in fact, there has been, since, since the hack existed since June, we do believe that there is plenty of opportunity for this nation state to move and get into other areas like the cloud. So this has been a really significant, big deal, and it has not stopped. As soon as, as soon as you uncover something like this, typically people like to go to ground and try to cover up. The last thing, if it is the Russians, the last thing the Russians want us to do is uncover the depth and breadth of their attack. Um, so where else has it gone? I don't think we can answer that question uh, clearly yet. And let me give you the other kind of thing to think about, and that is, Okay, so the reporting is, without confirming or denying, that this may have been Russia and that they had been there in a comprehensive way for months. Where do you think China is? Where do you think Iran could be? If they got in through some statecraft, what members of international criminal enterprises now have access to the intel and to the tools that enable them to do this. And what about ultimately ideologues, ISIS, people that have very little to lose? It is a, um, it is a stark reminder for all the advantages the digital economy gives us, how vulnerable we can be if we don't act with the right sense of propriety in protecting those assets. That's why I think some of the work of the Cyberspace Solarium now has new oxygen. We need now more than ever to take action as a nation. So it's been reported for a number of years that Russia, China, maybe others, maybe Iran, can shut down our grid, that they're trying to get the, the tools to do that. How imminent is that threat? That's been something you've been exercising against. And has it been heightened as a result of what's happened in the last few months? So as I said, I don't think they have the ability to operationalize an attack. And the grid is so complex, um, and it is protected in so many different ways. It's not just, can we stop a hack? Okay, I, I don't think anybody can say that they're invulnerable to these kinds of digital attacks. But for example, um, we have different layers of defense, and effectively, we can look at, for example, our energy management system, um, going to a much more constrained environment. Uh, 
we call that our spare tire strategy. That would be that's that ugly tire you put on your car that can get you from a blowout to a gas station where you can get help. So in the event our EMS got attacked, we go to spare tire. At the end of the day, we can go to another strategy called MacGyver. And that is essentially leaving the digital age, withdrawing from connections to the internet, and running our system as it was run in the 1950s. Now, our vulnerability there will be telecom. In other words, if I send people out manually to throw switches in the field, I've got to be able to talk to them, and I still have to be able to communicate. So part of MacGyver is not just understanding how to operate as we did in the 50s, manually is the shorthand, but rather also thinking about creative ways to communicate in the event we lose the, the truck-based systems of cell phones, etc. So can the uh, electric grid get taken down? Um, I think by its structure, I think it would be extraordinarily hard. One of the other things that I think is important is when you say the grid, uh, part of the work in the Solarium um, Commission that we did was to call out a new concept, and it's really important from a national security standpoint, and that is to identify the most critical assets in the nation that would prevent widespread loss of life, significant economic dislocation, and preserve the ability to fight back, um, whether that's seeing or listening or, or being able to respond kinetically. Um, so those assets, which are critical to those three big circumstances, are what we call this unfortunate metaphor. It's called SICKI, SICKI assets, systemically important critical infrastructure. If we can essentially create a priority of the most important functions in America that will preserve our American way of life, our, our ability to enact commerce, our ability to defend ourselves, that says that we can't protect everything. This idea of taking the grid down sounds ominous. The ability for the bad guys to get into sicky assets calls out, I think, um, an important national initiative that will preserve, I think, our ability to recover from whatever. So number one, can they get to the grid? Eh, probably in limited ways. Um, but I think if we're smart about how we array our defenses, uh, those items for America, those assets for America, that are most critical, will be the best protected. So I'd like to segue to another subject, and maybe there's a bridge between the two, from security to, to the effort you and other major utilities have launched to get to net zero carbon by 2050. You bet. And reduce uh, emissions below 50% below 2007 levels even sooner, maybe in the next few years. Um, talk a little bit about the path Southern is um, on that, and is there a security implication of getting greener? 
Sure there is. Uh, let's let's kind of go through the big thing. Southern was one of the first companies in our industry to declare what we said then was low to no uh, by 2050. And the difference between low kind of thought as as 80% reductions. And no, obviously zero, really deals with over time bridges of technology solutions that will get us to where we need to be in an economic way. Recall that in our um, our desire to reduce carbon, it isn't just carbon as the only guiding factor here. I've, I've been steadfast in saying we need to balance clean, safe, reliable, affordable. I mean, we could eliminate carbon today if we wanted to, but the economic dislocation and the, the lack of reliability would be enormous. So... Balancing clean, safe, reliable, affordable, and providing for technology solutions, that gets us low to no. And we were able to commit to that. And you may remember, as an aside, Southern Company is the only company in our industry that has robust proprietary research and development. We are by far the biggest research partner of the Department of Energy in our industry. We're one of the biggest funders of EPRI. Steve Specker, former CEO of EPRI, is on my board. Critical to getting to this future will be the development of technology, whether it's battery storage, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's doing something to attack the carbon atom itself, carbon capture and storage, um, EVs. There's a whole lot we got to do as a nation to get there. Let's just talk for a quick second about carbon capture and the work you're doing in Alabama. How ready for prime time is that? And it's been talked about for decades. Well, you know, we've also done it at Plant Radcliffe at Kemper County. The technology exists. It's not economic right now. It would be kind of economic at, say, oh, I don't know, equivalent six bucks per million BTU natural gas. It's, that's kind of its economic point. But recall also that the purpose of research and development, in one way, you can think of it as taking ideas that are currently out of the money and making them in the money. And so I think that is the challenge, right? Um, is how do we improve on the technology, make it more efficient so that it is a player sometime in the future. And I think it's, it's best application uh, will have nothing to do with coal. It will have everything to do with natural gas and how far natural gas survives as an important fuel into electricity generation as you approach 2050. Part of your carbon strategy is nuclear, and you have two plants on the cusp of completion. Yep. Um, many in the industry would say nuclear is out of the money. Are you going to bring it into the money? Well, sure. I think... Um, these anybody can go look at the Georgia proceedings. Now the capital cost has been more than what we wanted, but the cost borne by consumers will actually be less than what was promised when we uh, had the initial order to build the plants, and that is so underreported. When when we got that order from the commission, uh, we thought it would be a 12% price increase. We think now it's going to be about 10. Well, then everybody says, well, wait a minute. I thought all these costs went way high. Recall, we had a fixed price commitment from Westinghouse that Westinghouse bore a lot of those overages. And ultimately, Westinghouse went bankrupt. 
recall also that as a result of Westinghouse going bankrupt, we had Toshiba guarantee us $3.7 billion, which we got 100 cents on the dollar from with the help of the past administration. So we've been able to buy down a lot of the costs with commercial guarantees from our biggest vendors. And so I think uh, Vogel is going to come in and be a very economic thing. I think its energy will be around equivalent $1 per million BTU natural gas. It'll be something like that. Where does distributed generation figure in your strategy? Because a lot of people say that there is security in that by being a less centralized electrical system. There's security and a lack of security. But let me finish the nuclear thing quickly, and that is... Uh, I don't think you're going to build this technology again. I think in the late 30s to 40s, it's going to be the so-called Gen 4 reactors, like the molten salt reactor we're working on with Bill Gates. This is a technology where the core physically can't melt down, and therefore you won't need all the containment structure you have now, and therefore it's more economic. Okay, so let's go to distributed. And in fact, you know, one of my principles, Marty, is that one of the greatest harbingers of future failure is past success. Southern Company is one of the great franchises in America, the Southeast, and um, great economic growth and a stable, tough, but a stable uh, regulatory environment where we do all of making, moving, and selling energy with one chain of command, one line of accountability and responsibility. That is so much more effective, in my opinion, than the so-called organized markets, which I don't need to tell anybody have had their share of problems. Now, in 2016, we bought a company called PowerSecure. And to cut to the chase, what we have done is merged a lot of what PowerSecure does with what our other company, our IPP, that has been so big, and particularly solar, and now we're moving into wind a little bit, Southern Power. And what we're doing there is to essentially miniaturize the iconic model of make, move, and sell in a single entity to where I can make, move, and sell on your corporate real estate uh, at a Home Depot store or at a factory or at a uh, server farm. Now, when I do that, I can do what I call distributed infrastructure, that is, I can um, build a microgrid, and this is a little bit of an old statistic, but we have done, it's about two years old, so excuse me if it's out of date, but at least one magazine said Southern Company had 85% market share of microgrids in America. Now, there are tiny microgrids, but still we are out there, and so we have microgrids. We have distributed storage. We have distributed generation. We have proprietary switchgear. And it is moving like nobody's business. The good news is, is that that kind of infrastructure can be exceedingly resilient. Now, it does provide a different set of problems, though, in making it resilient. Before we get to that, just for scale here, Southern Power um, is in 13 states, has 50 facilities, a little over 11,000 megawatts from California to Kansas, where I sit, Minnesota, Texas. So you're everywhere. 
this microgrid kind of um, small system of making, moving, and selling that you're talking about, potentially how large of that 11,000 megawatts could it grow? Okay, so it's tiny. A lot of 11,000 megawatts are what I would call full requirements or wholesale agreements or big bilaterals. Um, the microgrid business is tiny. I mean, it's um, it's almost not even um, discernible from a profit standpoint in Southern. But what we think it is is a window on the world. And in fact, a year ago, uh, during better times, or maybe it was two years ago now, uh, several of us traveled through Europe trying to sense what went right and what went wrong in their period of turmoil and market structure. And I think that this is something that could grow. And so the way I think about um, this whole microgrid distributed infrastructure business is something that really is small and doesn't matter much to net income. But should it get oxygen, which I think it will, uh, then we are poised not only to participate in a robust way, but perhaps to even be a leader in influencing how that market occurs. So this is another one where it looks like an option that's out of the mind, but we're working very hard to understand it so that if some chemicals do come together in the ocean and something does crawl up on the beach, that we'll be able to uh, take advantage of it appropriately. So you're you're a giant with 118, $120 billion in assets. To what extent are are you sitting there on the beach waiting to see what crawls out versus making a bet about this and possibly pumping some uh, energy into that evolution? Well, uh, we're participating in it. And in fact, this is one of the, you know, in the world of business, this is one of the classic examples of pursuing creative destruction. Everything we do to make this union of Southern Power and Power Secure successful has the potential to start to eat into our own franchise business in the Southeast. But what's interesting about Power Secure is we're in virtually all 50 states. And where you are most vulnerable is where companies don't have adequate reliability to satisfy big customers. They don't have low prices. So they have high prices, poor service, bad brand. They want to secure their own future. And so that is where we've been able to make the most progress. We're fortunate in the Southeast where we've got great brand, we've got low prices, we've got great service. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to fight most of these wars on other people's beaches. Uh, but we are not immune, rest assured. So, Tom, uh, the net zero carbon 2050 strategy uh, evolved at a number of major utilities in addition to Southern. While Trump was president, and now we have a, an administration that has a, a very much more uh, engaged plan to, to build a, a clean energy system, does it make a difference to you? what's happening in Washington, or is this evolution um, central to, to where utilities are going, regardless who's in Washington? Well, and, and you pointed out, and I really didn't finish the rest of the story, I was probably taking too much time, but we moved from low to no to net zero, and we said 2050. It's, it's clear to me that we can advance that 
if we want to. I've already sent a letter to President Biden that says Southern Company stands ready to help him on his initiatives. And so if he wants to accelerate the time frame to 2045 or 2040 or 2035, we will work with him and help uh, inform policymakers as to the big choices uh, that they'll be making along the way. Um, and, and I think with our capability and research, we will be able to point to different avenues that will make this transition uh, better balanced in terms of this clean, safe, reliable, and affordable profile. So these are things we got to do. Now, um, when I think about uh, stark differences between Trump and Biden, uh, like the Paris Accords, Trump withdrew, Biden's back in. You know, in my view, the pursuit of the net zero future for America uh, is almost independent of that. We progressed along this way. I think in 19, we reduced our carbon by 44%. Uh, We had an intermediate goal of 50% by 2030. We're going to blow through that. We're going to accomplish that by 2025 or sooner. So... Much of that was the pandemic and the economic downturn, right? You think it's going to outlast that? Well, this is, no, I gave you that 44 was 2019. That was before the pandemic. Okay. So uh, a lot of that, I would say, is natural gas going so cheap and closing down a bunch of uneconomic coal. Okay, I would certainly agree to that. But um, the whole industry irrespective of whether you're in something like Paris or not, I think understands the importance of achieving a low carbon, low carbon future. And so we're going to do that anyway. We are doing it and we've got a great track record. The last thing I'd like to ask you to come back to is your statement, the biggest harbinger of future failures, past success. It's funny, my last podcast was with Rayford Smith, and he quoted you as saying that, so it resonates with a number of people. What past successes are your personal greatest challenges? Uh, What from your past successes are you struggling most to overcome at this point? Yeah, I would say it's this. Southern companies had this great franchise business in the Southeast now for over 100 years. And we've earned the right, I think, to have that franchise. That is, we have provided the lowest prices, the best service. Um, we, uh, we treat customers uh, at, the, at the middle of every priority we got. And I think people understand that. Further, we are bigger than our bottom line. We have taken as a mission to make the communities we serve better off because we're there. We, uh, we are citizens wherever we serve in the broadest sense, okay? That is a, a very kind of praiseworthy track record. However, it does not insulate us against uh, uh, compounding changes, both in the sense of available energy technologies, whether that's generation or consumption, or whether it is a changing marketplace, particularly in customer demands as we move to a more digital economy. And so we've always got to understand that we are not in a cocoon, that the barbarians of the gate are out there. 
And unless we perform to the best of our ability to promote our customer interests at all times, um, we will be assaulted. There is no question in my mind about that. One last thing. I think I'm the only CEO that's ever been a CIO in our industry. You know, that stands for Chief Information Officer, you know, head of IT. So many days I thought that stood for career is over. It is a hard job. Uh, the threat against the sanctity of our electric grids and our ability to enact digital commerce have never been higher. And so at the same time, while we're running these franchise businesses as well as we can in light of all this technology change, we always have to keep in mind that we have an obligation to protect and serve. And we run the most critical, you know, we, what does somebody say? We were six or 7% of the nation's economy, but we're the first six or 7%. And if we don't do our jobs, nobody does their jobs. So it is a special obligation that we owe America. Those are the big challenges I see. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks. We've been talking with Tom Fanning, the chairman, president, and CEO of Southern Company. Thanks, Tom. Great being with you. See you soon. You have been listening to Grid Talk. You can send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrel.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. For more information or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.